Hello and welcome to the Super Smith Bros podcast where we break down the craziest shit science has come up with this week in the world of health and fitness. I'm Dexter, a research scientist and also a prospective medical student. I'm Trent, a chemical engineer who likes digging into cutting edge health and fitness and emerging technologies in those fields. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about a few different things. The first thing I'm going to bring up is um, this epidemiological study that supports vegetarianism and some of my qualms. Epidemiology? <laughs> some of my qualms. And then we are going to talk about alternate day fasting, probably a subject that you're probably tired of hearing, but this is a little different. Um, and it's from a paper published in a pretty respectable journal, Cell Metabolism. Then we're going to talk about vaping in the news. And Trent, I'm sure you'll have some good input here as you are the... Um, I, blow cl- I blow cloud. Yeah, you, bo- you blow clouds. You're the experienced vapor on this podcast. So um, I'll look to you there get your thoughts on that. And then we'll talk about this interesting paper, also hell of a headline, in which mouthwash is connected with in- inhibiting some of the beneficial effects of exercise. Um, so that- that'll be interesting. So with that, let's get it. So the first thing I wanted to bring up was a segment called Epidemiology. And I have this paper here. Cause, wait, because epidemiology is where you just take a, a massive amount of data and, and pretend that it means something. <laughs> Basically. So the, the title of this paper, and I'm kind of also shitting on vegetarians. So it's like a two, it, it's a two for one. <laughs> um, so the title of this paper. Can is, we get CrossFit in on that one? Ugh, Can we toss CrossFit in? I don't in? think. No? Well, if I, had the Venn, if I have a Venn diagram of vegetarian and CrossFit, there's uh, there's probably not that much overlap. Well, maybe there is. I disagree. I, I don't think, think there's there those, super, much those circles don't overlap much. But anyways, the title of this paper is Plant-Based Diets Are Associated with a Lower Risk of Incident Cardiovascular Disease, Cardiovascular Disease Mortality, and All-Cause Mortality in a General Population of Middle-Aged Adults. And so what this paper did, and the paper was put out by the American Heart Association, so it's not like it's, it's a legitimate source, but essentially what the study did is they used data from a community-based cohort of middle-aged men and women, 15,000 men and women, which is a lot. And what they did is they interviewed these people on six separate occasions over a period of 30 years. So it's a pretty longitudinal study, pretty long-term which I like. I think that's good studies, you know, especially for nutrition. It's over a long period of time. And here's the part that I didn't like. During these interviews, patients were asked to recall the frequency with which they consumed certain foods and beverages over the past year. So imagine I call you and I say, all right, tell me everything you ate in the last year. Like what? How are you even supposed to remember? I can't even remember what I ate last week. So I think yeah, I think ninety percent of people can't remember what they ate for dinner last right, night. Right, so that introduces just so much bias. And I got to this point in the paper, and I was kind of reading through the methods, and I was like, ah, that's just that's not great. And well, at this at the same time, maybe they're not asking for super super deep recounting of every well, bite that you took. I mean, maybe it's just like. On average, how many sodas do you, do you drink in a no, week? No, I'll get, I'll get to it. I think I th- that's probably a lot easier. People had to recall. Okay. I think they had to call, recall a decent amount of things. And so anyway, so they take this recall of food that you've eaten in the past year. They did that six times. And 
they get nutrient and total energy intakes based on the data they're given from the past year. So they say, okay, you ate essentially this much grams of protein per day, this many calories per day, et cetera. And then what they did is they scored each person's diet based on these different plant-based diet indices. So there's four indexes that they used. The first was called the plant-based diet index. The second was called the healthy plant-based diet index, which is basically the same index just scored for like healthier foods. So, you know, you always hear the person be like, oh yeah, I'm a vegan, but I also eat a pack of Oreos a day. So that would kind of you know, they that that person wouldn't score high on the healthy plant index score. Then they had the unhealthy plant index score, which uh, wasn't able to include people that ate more refined carbohydrates, like I was saying. And then they had one more index that was called the pro vegetarian diet index. So essentially, the higher you scored on those indexes, um, the more likely you were to eat like a, a vegetarian diet. So what's a pro vegetarian diet? What's the pro vegetarian diet index? Uh, it's they're, they're all just indexes to basically measure how close to a vegetarian diet you're eating. So it's not like if you scored really high, you're eating a strict vegan diet. It's just saying, or sorry, a strict vegetarian diet. It's just saying that you eat, you know, higher on that scale. You're eating more plant foods. Okay. Um, yeah. They don't really give like a, they didn't really like show how these scores were determined but essentially they said the higher you score on these indexes the more plant-based foods you're eating so people had to remember how many how much plant-based food they're eating and how much meat they're eating throughout the past year don't think that is uh something that's easy to remember but you know maybe they were and so what they did then is they took all this data from all these people and they separated the data based on quartiles, or sorry, quintiles. So they broke it into five separate groups. Essentially, imagine taking a pie, cutting it into five pieces. The first piece would be the people that were in the top 20% of these indexes. The second piece out of five would be that next 20%, and then all yep. the way down to the lowest 20%. Does that make sense? So they split them up into these quartiles, and... Then from there, they compared these quartiles based upon incident cardiovascular disease that these people experienced, um, cardiovascular mortality or, or death. You know, did, did these people die from heart attacks? They looked at all-cause mortality. Um, they looked at a bunch of different things. And one of the they did adjust for some things, which is good. So they adjusted for education, cigarette smoking, physical, physical activity, alcohol intake, and margarine intake. But of course, that doesn't adjust for a million other factors. So they adjust for those things and then they take these quartiles and they basically say that you have a 16% higher risk of cardiovascular incident if you are in the lowest quartile versus the highest quartile. Lowest so, quartile meaning? Meaning the lowest 20% of people based on these indexes. You are in the lowest 20% of plant eaters versus the top 20% of plant eaters. Okay. So if you eat and from there they conclude, okay, if you eat more meat, then you are more likely to get cardiovascular disease. And so obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased myself and I'm sure so are you because we both like to eat meat. 
Um, but if they had a, if this study was designed to say the opposite, I would be saying the same thing about it. That number one, it's hard for people to recall what they ate for a past year. And number two, it doesn't really take account for, you know, cholesterol levels, um, sh- amount of sugar that was eaten. Just there's so many different factors that are at play here. You know, may- maybe if you eat a vegetarian diet, you're also more likely to exercise or more likely to do other healthy behaviors that like this doesn't necessarily take account of. So I don't know. I thought there was a little bit spurious to try to associate those things. Right. Well, just, just looking at some of the correction factors that they tried to bring in, it's kind of interesting looking at the bottom 20%. So those who eat more meat, the, the alcohol consumption is twice as much for someone at the bottom end of the, the vegetarian spectrum versus someone yeah. at the top of the vegetarian spectrum. Right. So apparently vegetarians don't like to drink alcohol either. Is yeah. that an animal product? Uh, no. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, technically, the animals, the animals fertilize the soil that right. the corn grows on. And corn, as we all know, makes ethanol. So, you know, in a yeah. way, I guess you could try to try to make that conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what else was I going to say about this? So, yeah, that, that was interesting, too. So they showed that the people that were also on the lowest quartile for this plant-based diet index – also were more likely to smoke cigarettes, were more, more likely to um, have hypertension, have hypertension, more likely to exercise less. And so they're doing all these things that are, and they did say they adjusted for that, but it's kind of interesting to see that the, those people are living a lot different lifestyle than these other group of people. And I don't think that all goes back to just the diet. I think that that has to probably do with a lot more things, you know, where they live, um, conditions that they live in. So I just thought that it's like, you can't, you can't really just conclude that there's so many different factors. And you ask these people to recall everything that they've eaten for a year. It's just like, come on. Well, and how are you, how are we adjusting for all these things too? If you pick someone who's uh, it's a statistics thing, yeah, but- basically, basically magic. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Let's take some unhealthy people. Let's run some tests on them and then let's adjust for it. And then let's take some healthy people, run the same tests no adjustment, and then let's figure out what the, the correlations are for that. I, I don't. Yeah, I you can do it. I honestly don't know how that works, but I know that a lot of papers do that. Of like, they'll adjust for certain factors, and I wish I knew how that worked. But I think that's a decent. I mean, you're right. You might have a point, but I don't. I know that a lot of papers do that, so I don't know um, know how inaccurate or accurate that is. So. In a similar vein, um, related to diet, uh, I wanted to bring up a study that was published August 27th, just a few days ago, for all those people out there who don't have enough um, different fast ways to fast. We got intermittent fasting, you have caloric restriction, there's all these different things out there about fasting right now. Here's another one. This is alternate day fasting or ADF. So basically what this looked at um, was fasting on an every other day basis. So one day you'd have no, no calor- caloric restriction, no restrictions at all. You eat as much as you want uh, between a 12-hour period. Um, and then the next day you fast for the whole day. Hmm. So 
kind of an interesting uh, way of looking at fasting. Yeah. What it show what it shows is that well, what the study shows is that it's actually a safe practice to do for several months, which I guess people are worried about, you know, what whatever it may be if you're not eating every other day for a significant amount of time. Um it it showed a decrease in body weight by four and a half percent and improving and it improved the fat to lean ratio. Um and there's also which a few is other which is what like muscle to fat muscle right, to exactly. fat ratio basically exactly so, they so had these more people are getting body more mass. lean okay, okay yeah they're getting toned they're they're getting very toned maybe a six pack and nice. a few other things cardiovascular parameters were improved um, but I think the the big takeaway from this is that caloric restriction is tough. That, that's a hard thing yeah. to do for an extended period of time as anyone who's cut, uh, after lifting and, and gaining weight would know it gets pretty tough after about six weeks. Um, and there's a lot of health benefits, um, that go along with caloric restriction, long-term caloric restriction. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so what is the, is there a benefit to doing it every other day? Is it easier to eat, every other day than like say you know eat from eight to two or something like that like a normal a normal eight hour window or something like that is there a, a is there a benefit to doing well or I, I guess think, a six hour window i think the big thing here is in what, what i didn't mention is that it corresponds to a pretty significant drop in calorie consumption just eating ad libitum in your 12 hour window uh, yeah. one day then fasting the next day mm-hmm. Looking for the statistics. It's probably because it's hard to eat. It's probably hard to eat four thousand calories to make up for you know in one day to make up for the two thousand that you're not going to eat tomorrow. Exactly. You know so, what I'm saying. Overall, you get this pretty big drop in calorie intake, hmm. and you're not doing caloric restriction on a daily basis. You're eating as much as you want on one day, so it's basically an easier way to do a caloric restriction diet. And you'd get a better calorie restriction than you would on an intermittent fasting diet. Okay. That's cool. And one thing that's interesting too is um, from what I understand, during a fast, you can actually maintain your muscle um, decently well. You you might lose a little bit of muscle, but um, just from some kind of anecdotal evidence and then um, some of the stuff that uh, Peter Atia, who is who runs the Drive podcast, which is pretty good. Some of the stuff he talks about too is um, during these fasts, you're actually going to lose a lot more fat than you are going to lose muscle. So you might lose a little muscle, but for the most part, you should hold on to most of the muscle you have. Because I think that'd be a worry too. It's like, shit, if I'm not eating every day, am I just going to lose muscle? Right. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. Right. All right, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was the news in the vape world. I know you're big into the vape world, so yeah. um, I'll give you a chance to kind of, you know, just air your grievances. What have you heard about it? Yeah, so I, I'm a big, you know, on a daily basis, I'll, I'll go through one to two pa- uh, packs of Juul. I'm a big multi-pack user. So th- this hits pretty close to home here. Yeah, shit. It's pretty big news. <laughs> I'm 100, 100 cases of random disease no more than that and so the nyt uh, new york times had a headline and i'm surprised you're still alive 
And the headline is that the, the mysterious vaping illness that's becoming an epidemic. Pretty and much the bird flu. Essentially, yeah, it's bird flu uh, 2.0. But essentially, the what happened is the CDC has launched what I like to call a probe. Um, and it's investigating 215 cases of vaping-related lung disease, um, which, I mean, honestly, it's a little bit scary. Like all jokes aside, that is kind of scary. Um, the CDC director, whose name is Robert Redfield, tweeted um, basically recommending people to stay away from e-cigarette products in general and especially to stay away from products that have been modified on the streets. So like people filling up jewel pods with THC liquid or, you know, these aftermarket modifications. Basically jungle juice for a vape pen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So stay away from that stuff. Um, I don't know what you think about this, but this kind of, what's interesting to me is that apparently none of these cases are connected to like a single product or a single contaminant or a single thing. So my thoughts are like, why all of a, why all of a sudden is this happening if it's not you know, a single, cause it'd be easy to trace back to like a single contaminant. If let's say, Oh, this came from this batch of jewel pods here. Um, you know, we know what happened, but they have no idea what happened. And it's just like all of a sudden, all these people are getting kind of sick at the same time. Just well, weird. And it's, it's like, sounds location based almost like there's a pocket of 10 people over here in Illinois that yeah, have all true. come down with some mis- mystery illness where their lungs are falling apart and they're in the hospital for weeks, it sounds pretty severe. And they, they're having a hard yeah. time recovering from this, whatever it is. So I don't know if there's something location-wise that that could be causing it. But yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that it's all these different products, all these different products people are using for vaping, different yeah. and yet causing the same mystery illness. Right, that's what's weird to me. And here's my theory, and this is kind of like, um, you know, a little bit out there, but my theory is that all of a sudden, you know, e-cigarettes have gotten more popular and more popular and more popular. And so I think that there's some kind of like rare genotype or um, something like that, that makes people maybe a little more susceptible to vaping in general, like maybe a lower production of some kind of pulmonary fluid or something in your lungs. And so because it's getting more and more popular, now we're seeing you know, a higher chance of these people with, I don't know, some rare genotype that this really affects. And all of a sudden, it's getting more likely that they're going to pick up the vape pen and start vaping. And so now it's starting to happen. And now we're like catching these people that have, you know, some kind of random um, genotype that makes them more susceptible. So So basically, for us layman bros out here, they're allergic to it. Uh, yeah, not, not allergic, but like just susceptible to it. I don't know. That's just kind of a theory I was thinking of. I was like, what if it is due to the fact that all like more people are using now? And so we're just catching these rare, yeah, basically people that are allergic to it, I guess. Well, there's, there's already been some cases of people getting wet lung from vaping. What is that? Because they, they have an allergic reaction to a specific type of, you know, fluid or whatever they have in their vape pen. And mm. it causes this allergic reaction and they get wet lung, which I wish I knew more about, but it's, it, it sounds a lot like, sounds like you get some fluid that just builds up on your lungs. Yeah. So, all right, what else you got? Oh, so I'm going to tie this one in very nicely okay, with ahead. a little bow. Um, 
so the headline got me. It got me good here. And as soon as I, I saw the headline, I was drawn in like a fly to a trap. Um, and the headline is mouthwash could inhibit benefits of exercise. So that's fascinating. Jesus. So let's dig into this. Oh, what? Well, how are people swallowing? Wait, wait. I'll let you talk for a sec, but does this mean people are actually drinking mouthwash? Yeah. So they're using it as like a pre-workout because it, because the taste what? is so, no, I'm just kidding. But, oh my God. I was going to say, what the? <laughs> but once, once I dug into this a little bit, it, it's kind of fascinating. So it, it was a study conducted by the University of Plymouth and they just released it, I, I believe September 3rd. Is that today? That's today. Yeah. That's so, today. so check this out. So I'll start, I'll start from the beginning kind of. So during exercise, you get this nitric oxide production. Um, and mm-hmm. it, what that does is it opens up your blood vessels, allows your, you to get increased blood circulation. So you can, yeah, I mean, you tell me you can move get nutrients, get more blood proteins. to your muscles. Yeah, exactly. So, right. When, when blood has, yeah, exactly. It has nutrients, got the oxygen. The oxygen, that's what that's what it is, huh? Yes. You need oxygen to power your ATP production. Okay. But continue. I, I don't even know muscles. any more than that. Anyway, mass, uh, so that's also known as vasodilation. And what, okay. what us bros like to look at ourselves in the mirror for when you got the bicep vein popping <laughs> and the calf veins popping. Um, and what we're always chasing. That's what we're always chasing. You're always chasing it. People supplement nitric oxide for that reason. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... There's this thing where post-exercise, your blood circulation remains high. So it triggers this uh, blood pressure lowering response um, that's called post-exercise hypotension. So this is kind of, there's a lot of health benefits that come in Mm -hmm. with this blood pressure lowering, but it's always kind of been a mystery as to what the mechanism is that causes this to happen. So there's a lot of previous research that suggests it has nothing to do with nit- nitric oxide production. That's only something you get during exercise. But there's some other studies that have come out more recently that kind of suggest otherwise. So there's kind of been questions around what's the mechanism. So th- this- so so with the mechanism that has to do with nitri- nitric oxide, say that like during exercise you have high levels of it, and then after exercise it kind of goes away, right. and so then you get the opposite effect. Well, no, because you, you still have the nitric oxide. That, that's what. So there's some some nitric oxide is going to cause your blood vessels to open, right? That's what we said. So yeah. for for whatever reason, your your blood vessels after you work out, your blood vessels stay open, and you you still have this increased blood circulation, which triggers a, a blood pressure lowering response. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So this study found this genius way to test this out. So follow me here for a second. So okay. nitric oxide degrades into nitrates in your body. Process meat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and nitrates can be absorbed in the salivary glands where they're excreted in the saliva. Okay. So you get, you get nitric oxide into nitrates. Nitrates get absorbed and excre- excreted in your saliva. Now in your saliva, you have bacteria that can convert the nitrates to nitrites. So now you've taken the nitrates, okay. turned them into nitrites. When you swallow the nitrites, they get converted back into nitric oxide. So this okay. this is a proposed uh, this is a proposed mechanism as to why you maintain vasodilation after workout. 
because you have these leftover nitrates that get converted eventually to nit nitrites, you swallow them, they get converted back, you still have vasodilation after a workout. So hmm. what the study did is they said, okay, so this bacteria produces these nitrites. Let's try to inhibit them. How are we going to inhibit these nitrites or, or these bacteria from uh, converting the nitrates to nitrites? So they said, okay, let's get, let's give people mouthwash after a workout, right after a workout, and then let's measure mm -hmm. their blood pressure to see what happens. So they did exactly that. So half of the people took this mouthwash right after the workout, half the other people just used water, and it showed a 60%, uh, I guess, Holy shit. participants who used mouthwash after a workout had a 60% reduction in the post-workout blood pressure lowering. So hmm. I guess the takeaway here is that you, you get a lar th this large benefit from working out where you get your blood pressure to lower um, and it can be inhibited via this bacteria that's in your mouth. So we're looking at, at mouthwash, and here's where I'm going to tie back in, potentially vaping because we know vaping mm -hmm. impacts your microbiota in your Oral. in your mouth oh yeah yeah things like that you should you should watch out for because it, it can inhibit uh these benefits that you get from working out kind of interesting <laughs> that is that's crazy so has this i'd be interested to see if this has been replicated in the other studies because 60 percent that's huge yeah and, and you'd hate this study because it's a it's a, it was a short term study, and they I think they only had what's 26. the n? Give me the n. Twenty six. <laughs> that's that's not that's not terrible. What thirteen in each group? Yeah, that's a that's a decent as long as it's not like an n of one. Yeah, I'm yeah, cool okay. with it. Interesting. So what what's the benefit in terms of recovery of having this um, blood pressure lowering effect? Does it? it does it help you recover from things? Uh, I'd I assume know. so. I'd I don't, assume. I'm sure there's some benefit there, but I think the, the main benefit is just people that have, people generally have higher blood pressure. You know, we have stress in our lives and people use working out as an outlet for their stress. So yeah. if you really want the full benefits of getting that stress removed, then you should look out for mouthwash. It's evil. Interesting. The mouthwash, the new Gaines Goblin. Yeah, seriously, Gaines Goblin. But then also game. It's 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 a Gaines Goblin, but then a game changer. You know, you you're talking to a girl. Is you want to, your breath to smell good? Yeah. So there's got to be you, there's got to be a balance. Choose some you gotta gum. Got to be able bro. to balance that. Choose some gum. Yeah. Well, gum might have the same effect. Actually, no, probably not. Maybe. Who knows? Right. It is in your mouth. I'm a gum guy. I'm a gum guy now. Yeah. You don't miss your anabolic window after a workout. You know, to eat your protein, do your thing, and don't drink mouthwash. Yeah, whatever you do, do not, do not take mouthwash or vape. Okay, but the an <laughs> the anabolic window is the dumbest. That's bullshit. No, man. Like you have thirty minutes. No, it's it's legit. That's about as bro science as it gets. No, I've watched my muscles, you know, <laughs> consume themselves when I miss my anabolic window. So it's just it's tough, man. You gotta you gotta eat. You know, you got to eat every gotta four hours too, or else your body starts wasting away. Yeah, you got to eat every four hours, but then also not eat every other day. So that's kind of yeah. That's it's a hard thing to do, but it can be can be done. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard, but you can do it. 
breaking news on the vaping front. Um, this podcast was recorded about a week before some news broke, and news broke, I believe, a day or two ago from the University of Utah. And that would be September sixth. Yep, September sixth. And um, the update is this: so researchers at the University of Utah discovered an interesting marker present in 10 out of 10 patients that they tested that were exhibiting these vaping related illnesses or whatever they're calling it. And the... Was this symptom the ability to blow clouds? (laughs) That was one of the symptoms. The other were a little bit uh, shittier. They were like coughing and I think people were having like, like very severe coughing fits and um, like trouble breathing, like like dangerous trouble breathing. Like I think three people have died so far. People have died. I didn't realize people had yeah, died. Three people have died. Um, so this is a pretty serious thing. But anyways, the mar- the marker that they found were what is called um, lipid laden macrophages. So macrophages are just immune cells that are essentially capable of eating and digesting toxic or foreign substances. And typically, when your body's functioning normally. This is going to be things like bacteria or viruses that are floating around that you don't want in your body. Um, But in the case of the lipid-laden macrophage, what happens is that these macrophages ingest a ton of fat or lipids or cholesterol that is floating around. And then this causes these cells to get pretty massive and leads to a lot of inflammation. Are we assuming that this fat is coming from the, the actual vape? Liquid? Yeah. Yeah, I... That's what I was assuming. So what I'm assuming is going on is people are vaping and then this vapor is coating the interior of, the, of their lungs and somehow has a lipid component to it. It, it must. I mean, yeah. I don't see how else this would be happening. And then, of course, you get macrophages that are starting to eat, eat up these fats and then um, you get a bunch of inflammation. And kind of an interesting connection here is that these lipid-laden macrophages, which are called uh, also also called foamy cells, um, play a big role in cardiovascular disease. Basically, the um, these ma- these same kind of macrophages, the ones that are able to eat this um, lipid and then digest it, um, are what eventually lead to the building up of plaques. So, in the coronary artery or in your arteries, these macrophages will start to eat up cholesterol and then. Once that happens, they start to build up plaques, which then leads to clogging of arteries. So it's kind of interesting to see that these cells are obviously playing a role in two different pretty major diseases. But um, I still don't really know what it means exactly. Like, why why do these cells cause such damage? And, you know, I guess probably it has to do with inflammation. Yeah, and pretty my first thought when I heard about this was, oh, it's, it's inhibiting these cells from... Uh, their immunological response that they give in disrupting bacteria, bad bacteria and viruses, which is causing these viruses to, and I don't know, infect the the people. But yeah. it sounds like that that isn't really a feasible theory. Yeah, because what they did, I think that's one of the first things they did is they tested these people for um, pathogens in the lungs, and I'm pretty sure that that came back pretty negative, but. I'd assume that eventually if enough of these macrophages that, you know, you wouldn't get as good of an immune response to say RSV that you breathe, breathe in or something, some kind of virus. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good point, but yeah, I don't think that that's the case. I think this is more a result of 
these cells building up and it causes inflammation. So, um, so my, my next question is why all of a sudden, right. cause you'd think that people have been blowing clouds for years now. Yeah. Why now? I don't, I, yeah. Why all of a sudden is there some new ingredient that they're using to cut costs or is there, is it just in a certain type that all of a sudden broke into the market? I don't know. That That's what's interesting to me is like, as I was saying earlier, they haven't really nailed it down to like a very specific company or a change or anything like that. It's almost like what what I'd be interested to see is how long these people have been vaping. Are these the people that have been vaping for 10 years now? And like, maybe this is just starting to become a bad thing. Is this going to become Jeez. the next cigarettes? You know? Is this, yeah. Are, is this like going to start happening more and more? And then we're going to be like, shit, you know, they're, they're going to have to ban all of these vaping things because it, it it causes these problems i don't know it'd be kind of interesting to see i blame the fda I'm, yeah i'm glad i'm not a test subject big government I mean, shit. the yeah, government's I mean, the devil <laughs> the government there's gonna be people that are gonna be blaming the government there already was i was looking on twitter and people are already like oh the fda didn't do enough to step in and um, ban these before they reached this level and blah 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 and I mean, no, first of all, no one knew. No one knows the long-term effects of these things. Right. You can't do a 10-year test on the FDA. The, the FDA themselves can't do a 10-year test. Right. It's, it's not feasible for any drug or product that's entering the market. Yeah. Right. Right. But so. but that goes back to the question, what, I mean, how do we keep these these long-term negative effects out of the population with new products that are coming out on the market. I don't know what the answer is to that. It's, it's just one of those things that you can do these, you can do basic toxicity tests, make sure that it isn't carcinogenic. You can look for carcinogens in the aerosols, but that's been done. There's really not been that much, but here's another thing. So you're vaping all these different flavors. When you combust a liquid, you're, you're creating new chemicals, right? right? You're, um, creating radicals and all this different, all of these different chemicals that you know maybe there's some new chemical that's causing this reaction in the lungs and um, you know it could be that. But so what's next? Yeah, what's next is I think that these lipid laden macrophages is a sign of some kind of inflammation or some some kind of something that's going on. I don't necessarily think that you know this is. This is like this isn't going to show us a cause, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is probably going to show us, okay, well, we know there's a lot of inflammation going on in the lungs. Um, I think they're going to have to do more to figure out why. Yeah. And so that's probably the next steps is, um, you know, get all the patients together. And I'm sure this is being done. Interview them, see what exactly. Maybe there's a big proportion of them using these, like, this is one thing I've heard. One thing I've heard is that a lot of people are using um, like aftermarket products in there. So you take the cartridges that you right, I heard that too. And you're injecting in THC and all this stuff. And um, I think there's some pushback from the FDA saying, but no, we've had people get sick that aren't doing this too. So they don't think that that's the, the big underlying cause. But so the bigger, the bigger concern here for me is for the agriculture industry as a whole, because uh, you, when you get these negative effects in the vaping industry, you're going to get people that aren't blowing clouds anymore. So now what happens to rainfall? You know, you, you got to think ahead on these things. 
Are we, are we going to lose our rainfall, lose lose our uh, significant rainforest. amount of our crop growth or a rainforest? Our Amazon rainforest is already burning. You know, people, come on. It's going to. And that's that's the unfortunate. That's the unfortunate piece. And you're going to have a bunch of pissed off dudes that just want to and ladies that just want to vape and, you know, they just want to get buzz. Like cigarettes. Yeah, they just want to get the buzz. But it's going to be like cigarettes where, you know, they're going to say this causes this causes you're right on the package. It's going to say this causes extreme lung disease. Or this causes lung disease. Like use at your own risk. And then you well, have all these people. If it's, nicotine is so addictive too. Yeah. I'm just very curious as to what's going to happen to everyone. Well, nicotine is just such an addictive. The beautiful, you know. beautiful thing about being in an industry like that is you're going to iterate on it. So they're going to figure out exactly what's causing this to happen. And they're going to design vape pens to, or vape fluids that don't cause this. And we're going to fit, we're, yeah, we're going to get one point. step closer to having the perfect vape with no negative effects. The perfect vape has been invented. It's the jewel. The jewel. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the size of a USB drive. Tastes great. Not harsh. Gets you your buzz. Gives you lung disease. Potentially. But gives you, you know, small side effect. Yeah. No big deal. 